We're in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, the opening passage, and this is our second time walking through the opening verses. And I want to begin by reading that section of Scripture. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 1, and starting in verse 1, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We saw last time in the opening verses how uh, Paul had established the gospel in the churches of Galatia, but very quickly Jewish Christian fanatics had moved in, Judaizers as they're called, who were perverting the glorious gospel of justification by faith alone. It seemed that no sooner had Paul left the region than these false apostles, these false teachers, moved in. The gospel was now under siege. And the gospel is always under siege. Whenever the gospel is preached, the devil is lurking to seduce men and women with falsehood and to bring in a false gospel. In the book of Acts, we saw the same thing when Paul was saying farewell to elders from Ephesus. They met at a place called Miletus. And in Acts 20, verse 29, Luke, the writer of Acts, recalls the words of Paul. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves even from the elders, looking them in the eye, even from among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Paul had to defend himself because he was under attack. Uh, the false teachers were saying, look, Paul's not that great. He's not that amazing. And he'll take you only so far. We can take you further. 
And Paul had to defend himself because the gospel was under siege. And if they could get rid of Paul, they could get rid of the gospel that Paul had preached. But Paul made it very clear. He was an apostle. That's how he starts. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Despite what they were now hearing, Paul was a definite apostle of Christ. It takes boldness to stand for the gospel and it takes courage and it took Paul a lot of uh, courage to be the apostle he was and also to write this letter as he does and it's out of love. Many people attack Paul for his almost venomous words here. He doesn't stop to thank God for them as he does elsewhere. Normally that's what he does whether it's uh, the Corinthian church or any other church, he starts by thanking God for what God is doing among them. None of that's here. He just rips things to shreds here in terms of he comes with a hostile message for those that were pro propagating a false gospel. He's not alone though, verse 2, all the brothers are with me. And he has uh, established many, many things in the opening verses uh, none of which is uh, less than verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Praise the Lord. Uh, that's the message, isn't it? The gospel's a who, not merely a what. There's content to the gospel message, and it concerns the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life for us, his death for us, his substitutionary life and his substitutionary death. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. He lived and died in our place. It's not an accident that Jesus went to the cross. He went there with full intention. Praise the Lord. He gave himself for our sins. Does not say... God receives our works, but it's about God who gives. Gave what? Well, not gold, not silver, not even sacrificial lambs or an angel, but himself. What a price. Goes on to say to deliver us from the present evil age. There's much we could say about that. This age is evil with an evil ruler. I believe that will be the case all the way through this age. Don't be conformed to this age. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this age is something God delivers us from in and by and through the gospel. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. Do you remember last time we talked about the fact because salvation is what God does entirely, solely, that's why we can say soli Deo Gloria, to God alone belongs the glory. If man has a, even a part, a fraction of merit to bring to the table or his action is the ultimate cause of salvation, then God only receives partial glory. If salvation is a combination of God's activity and my activity, 
then we should get some of the glory. Perish the thought. Salvation is of the Lord. It's what he does. It's what he does alone. To God alone be the glory. And those were the solas, weren't they? The solas of the Reformation, bringing us back to the biblical uh, gospel based on the sure foundation of Scripture alone. Justification is by God's grace alone, received through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. Each of those solas, S-O-L-A, each of those solas uh, are vital, and those first four really exist to preserve that last one, namely the glory of God. Because it's God's activity alone in saving us, God and God alone gets the glory. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's true. That's it. That's right. That word amen, it's an assertion of affirmation. It says, I believe it. That's true. It's true and I believe it. So be it. It can be summed up in three English words, so be it, but it's an affirmation. That's right. That's true. Let it always be true. True. I hope that that is what resonates in your heart as you read this passage. But let's go to verse 6. We started with this and let's continue with this uh, amazing statement as it goes on into other verses here in verse 6. Paul writes in the English language here, in the English Standard Version, I'm astonished. I am astonished. Uh, other versions read amazed. And that's exactly what it means. It's a Greek word, thumadzo, means to be astounded, uh, astounded uh, shocked, bewildered, perplexed, astonished. What is Paul saying with these words? You're blowing my, my mind. He, he's stunned. Why? Well, we read on. That you are so quickly deserting him. That, that phrase, so quickly, uh, either means quick in terms of time, or it can mean how easily, how easily. I'm astonished that you are so quickly or so easily deserting him. In other words, Paul's astonished that either it's in this very short period of time or with such ease, you, you are deserting him. You're showing no resistance. You're showing no resistance when a false gospel is being proclaimed. You've heard the true gospel and you're hearing a different one and there's no resistance. I'm stunned. I'm amazed. To actually talk of a false gospel is so not 21st century Western society. That's not our culture. Not uh, that long ago. It's, it's more than a decade though ago. I had a conversation with someone who was quite prominent in my early life as a Christian, lived in the same city. He was an Anglican minister, and uh, we hadn't talked in many a year. And in our conversation, it became apparent that he was now ministering in many Roman Catholic churches. And I was a little bit intrigued by that, and I said, well, when you go in, uh, 
uh, and preach, do you ever get invited back? He says, oh, yeah, all the time. I said, really? I said, uh, I've only once ever preached in a Roman Catholic church, and it was because I was invited by the family to come in because the, the relative was Roman Catholic, but they wanted me to come in and preach the gospel. And with the priest standing next to me, I preached justification by faith alone. <laughs> and uh, of course, I wasn't invited by the priest to preach, but I certainly wasn't invited back to preach again. <laughs> um, I said, uh, how is it you're invited back? And he says, well, I talk about all the things we have in common, the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing, John, these, these guys, many of them are speaking in tongues and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is really big among them. I said, um, so don't you preach the gospel? And there was just this silence. I said, um, I, I don't understand. And he says, oh, John, who have you been listening to? You know, talking about which kind of Bible teachers I've been listening to. And I listed a few. And he says, oh, John, you're, you're just in your little bubble. And uh, the, the body of Christ is a lot wider than you think. And I said, oh, is it? Uh, we got off the, the phone and a couple of days later received an email from him. We had a bit of an exchange. <laughs> And he said, I've been praying for you, John. He says, um, as I prayed for you, I had this little picture. I thought, oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> Always beware of little pictures. He said, uh, I had a picture of uh, your church building and Jesus standing outside of the church building with a clipboard. And what he was doing was checking people's doctrine before they could get in. And he said, uh, I want to just say this to you, John. I'm, I'm concerned for you. Uh, your Jesus has a clipboard. And I said uh, in this email exchange, may I respond? He said, yes. I said, may I respond with one word? He said, yes. I said, Galatians. I kind of ended the conversation. I, uh, I did would say this. I added to the word Galatians. I said, if you read the book of Galatians, that is still in my Bible as it is in yours. And there you have Jesus with a clipboard through the Apostle Paul and saying this, you add one thing to the gospel, you've got a false gospel and you've got Nothing in common with anyone who proclaims that. That's Jesus through the Apostle Paul and saying, if you add one thing to the gospel, happens to be circumcision in the case of Galatians, you don't have the true gospel at all. If you have Jesus plus grace plus faith plus, you don't have the true gospel. Well, that was kind of the end of the conversation, and I haven't heard from him since. I think I was a Facebook friend, and I got unfriended, and that was it. But uh, he, I'm sure, is saying, oh, it's so sad what happened to John Sampson. And I'm thinking, it's so sad what happened to him. It's so sad because at the judgment, 
the God who inspired Galatians will require an account of that man, as he will of me, as he will of all of us. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. You see, to desert the gospel or confuse it is to desert God. To desert the gospel is a defection. Defection. It's, it's a crime. It's a crime. That word deserting, metathithamai, is a military term used to refer to a soldier who abandons his post in the heat of battle. And that's what Paul's saying. By falling prey to the false teachers, the Galatians were doing exactly that. They were forsaking their singular loyalty to God. You're deserters. You're spiritual turncoats. We continue reading. Who called you in the grace of Christ. Let me just say, though, that, that, that phrase is, is so important we shouldn't skip over it. We talked about it last time. Let me emphasize it again. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. It's not just a doctrine, it's him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The grace of Christ and the gospel are synonymous terms. To talk of the gospel is to talk of the grace of Christ. God who called you in the grace of Christ. God. God, not because of anything foreseen in them, God called them. God called you in the grace of Christ. It's interesting to me, Paul never addresses the, uh, the false teachers directly. He speaks of them in the third person. He speaks of them as they, but he does address them in that way. You know, let me just say this again. I quoted it last time. We should never be bored with the gospel. We can't hear it enough. Luther would agree with me. Martin Luther, the article of justification, he said, must be sounded in our ears incessantly because the frailty of our flesh will not permit us to take hold of it perfectly and to believe it with all our heart. End of quote. So true. Be established, be grounded, be saturated in the gospel. Paul goes on, and a turning to a different gospel. There are two kinds of gospels, ladies and gentlemen, the true and everything else. False gospels, non-saving gospels. It's a rip-off and it damns the soul. The word different, heteros, means something of a totally different kind. And what was the gospel of the Judaizers? Well, you need Jesus. Oh, Paul's right, but he can't take you all the way. He's right on some things, but really, you need more than Paul. You need more than his message. You need Christ. Of course you need Christ, but you also need in their case, circumcision, but with all false gospels, fill in the blank. You need baptism. You need church membership. You need baptism according to our formula. You need 
to speak in tongues. You need whatever the plus is, false gospel, false gospel, false gospel. The gospel is about the grace of God alone. You see, there's a saving gospel and there are non-saving gospels. Divine accomplishment versus human achievement. What are you hearing? It matters what you hear. It matters a lot. And whether we're talking about a small work, a little work, or a few works, or a lot of works, works play no part in grace. Grace, to be grace, is pure grace. We talked of that last time. Let's continue reading. Verse 7. Not that there is another one. You know, that's Paul's point in Romans eleven six. 6. It's a key scripture to memorize. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let that truth be written in our hearts. Verse 7, not that there is another one. Not that there is another. Here it's saying this, not that there is another of the same kind. It's not the word heteros here, it's alos. Not that there is another of the same kind. Not at all. And... I, I just trust as we're, we're walking through this passage, your heart is being stirred for the true gospel because there's only one. There's only one gospel. So many assume the gospel. So many are fuzzy on the gospel. But biblically speaking, it's clear. That's part of our fight. That's part of the devil's agenda against us is, oh, it's not that clear. Oh, there's people with degrees after their names and they, they kind of don't all see the same thing. And so if, if that's true, then what, what hope is it for you to work things out? Do you know that's a demonic lie? You read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the Bible says the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And at the time of writing that, Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy, the New Testament was not yet fully written. He's referring to the Old Testament. And so that's the Holy Spirit through Paul saying, the scriptures, even the Old Testament, because that's all that was written at that moment, The Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Bingo. It's clear, brothers. It's clear, sisters. The gospel is clear. Don't fall for the devil's lies that it's this fuzzy thing. No, it isn't. It's crystal clear. It's the finished work of Christ alone. Reading on, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
There are some who trouble you. Notice he's not directly writing to them. He's writing about them and says, there are some who trouble you. Now, when this letter was read, those Judaizers would be hearing this. I wonder at one point they might have even walked out. I don't know. This would not be well received by them. Paul knew it. There are some who want to trouble you. That word trouble means, uh, actually could be translated, who want to shake you. They want to trouble you. They want to shake you. Shake you away from what is true. And look at this. And want to. Notice that. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul, writing this, is not referring to people who are deceived. He's talking about people who are purposeful in distorting the gospel of Christ. It's the desire of their heart to do that. It's the desire of their heart to shake people away from the truth and distort the gospel of Christ. These false teachers, they're mentioned here for the first time, though not by name. Again, he doesn't refer to them directly. Now, these guys were not portraying themselves as satanic in any way. They would not portray themselves as opposed to the Christian faith. Far from it. Far from it. They look like the real deal. They sing Christian songs. If they had hymn books, I don't think they did, but they would be handing them out. They'd be working. They'd be looking like the real thing. They'll be coming to the the potlucks. They'll be coming to all the events. They, they were in the life of the professing church. Do you know many of the heretics through the centuries were absolute charmers? Really nice people. You get around them and you think, uh, wow, um, nice guy. You study church history and it, it wasn't that they look with a little squinty eye and you think there's something wrong about his eyes. You can say that about some people today. Oh, gosh, what was, what's with those eyes? <laughs> These guys look nice. These guys look nice in a photograph. They didn't have photographs right then, but he'd look good on a painting. <laughs> nice people. You know, if, if um, the 12 apostles, if we could have actually seen them, alongside Jesus might be a shock to us. We think, well, I know what Jesus would look like. Uh, Really? Scripture says there was nothing about his appearance that made him stand out. That's why it was hard to see him as God in the flesh. He didn't walk with a halo. Oh, there he is. Oh, just look for the halo. There it is. No, he was God in the flesh, but he looked like an ordinary man. But we think, well, if I saw Judas, I, know I, I, could, pot, I could spot him. I could make out who Judas is. He'd, yeah, he just wouldn't look like the others. You know, one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that'd be true. I think you'd look at Judas and not know the difference between him and Matthew and him and one of the others, Thomas, Peter. Peter. 
They were charmers. Many of the heretics through the centuries of church history were charmers, charming people. But their message was of the devil. And the false teachers here, their message was satanic as satanic can be. Oh, look at the words of Paul. Doesn't he sound like he he needs just a dose of love? Just go away and have more love, Paul. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that's at the, the, the start, the first of the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that the... Holy Spirit, the, the, the way we can know that the Holy Spirit's present in our life, the fruit of that, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. I want to ask you, who wrote that? The answer is Paul. Let me ask you this, where did he write that? Galatians. <laughs> yeah. You see, in the mind of the Apostle Paul and of the Holy Spirit, there's no contradiction between standing for the truth of the gospel and walking in love. And I'd say this, this was very loving for Paul to write in this way. If you love people, you'll tell them the truth. Wow. He loved them. He loved them. So what were the Judaizers doing? They were distorting the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace. They were corrupting it. They were transforming it into the very opposite of what it is. Grace. Just a little modification. Just a little little modification. No, it's a distortion. And you don't mess with the gospel. You do and you dilute it of its purity and you dilute it of its saving power. Well, don't you understand, Paul? People can be offended by this. I am sure he knew it. Who is going to be offended by this? I think uh, the false teachers, for sure. But secondly, those in the congregation who believe the message of the false teachers. Can you imagine this letter arriving? The delivery guy would need asbestos gloves. I mean, this was a hot letter, fiery letter. (laughs) But it's every word is inspired of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you, Christian, there's nothing wrong with being zealous for the truth. We, we can be offensive. We don't want to be offensive in our attitudes. But do you realize the gospel itself is an offensive message? The message of the cross is an offense, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The truth can be offensive. And people can be offended by it. I've had people, I know you, you may not believe this, I've had people walk out of the service when I'm preaching. Some of you may have seen it. It's happened more than once. The reason I can sleep well, put my head on my pillow at night regarding that, is I believe that what I have preached is true to the text of Scripture And five years from now, and 25 years from now, and a thousand years from now, what I preach would be true. I don't want to be offensive in how I say it, but the truth is offensive. Might as well know that going in if you're going to share the gospel, preach the gospel. It could offend. 
but Christ's sheep will never be offended by Christ's voice. So said C.H. Spurgeon, I agree. See, any message of Christ plus, any message of faith plus good works, any message of grace plus human merit, any message of Christ plus the law, plus circumcision, you've got a false gospel. It's been well said, if God is pleased, it doesn't matter who is not pleased. And if God is not pleased, it does not matter who is pleased. The message of the New Testament, the message of the Reformers, was all about the sufficiency of grace. Rome believes in the necessity of grace. You need grace. Oh, of course you need grace. And people hear that and say, oh, the... There's been a turnaround. Look what the Lord is doing in that church. No, they've always said you need grace. They just will deny that grace saves by itself. You also need human merit. You also need this, that, and the other. Grace plus. The issue at the Reformation was the necessity of grace versus the sufficiency of grace. Later in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What a message. If you want to add the law to the work of Christ in salvation, Christ died needlessly. What a message to the Judaizers. See, the Judaizers would say, you need Christ. We believe in Christ. They could probably pass the theological test as to who Jesus is. But Christ is not enough. You need uh, grace. Yeah, you need grace. You need faith. Yeah, you need faith. But it's not enough. No. They preach the necessity of grace. They could not handle the sufficiency of grace. That's Rome today. They preach the necessity of grace. But they cannot swallow the word alone. No, it's faith and water baptism. Other sections of the professing church, faith and you must speak in tongues to be saved. You need faith, but you need your Hail Marys. You, you need faith, you need your last rites. You, you, you need faith, but you must take Mass. You, you, you need faith, but you need the treasury of merit after death. Uh, you, you need faith, but you need to buy some indulgences. Well, John, um, this message is a little bit divisive. Can I just say this? It's the false teachers who are bringing division to the church, not the person who points that out. It's the Judaizers. It was the Judaizers who were bringing division to the church, not Paul who was pointing that out. Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in everything he writes here. Verse 8. Paul writes of a hypothetical. Didn't say it happened or would happen, but he said, hypothetically, here we go, verse 8, but even if we, 
Paul includes himself. Paul includes himself, his associates, his traveling companions, Barnabas, Timothy, Luke, anybody else. Even if we, or an angel from heaven. Now, can you imagine Gabriel coming down and preaching a false gospel? I I can't. But Paul is going to the hypothetical here and says, even if we, and I can't imagine Paul doing this, but he said, even if it should happen, and somehow I'm preaching a different gospel, or an angel from heaven comes down and preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, anathema, let him be accursed. So what was the message? The message is you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What's Paul saying? The messenger is actually irrelevant in this case. I'll defend my apostleship for the sake of the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven perish the thought it should ever happen, but should it ever happen, hypothetically, if they preach, if I preach, if we preach, if an angel preaches a gospel, Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under the curse of God forever. There's no stronger language. It's taken from the Hebrew concept of something under the ban. It needs to be set aside for destruction. It's, it's the strongest wording available. It's the strongest curse possible. That word anathema means to be under the eternal curse of God, to be consigned to hell now and forever. Let the angel of God who preaches this false gospel be anathematized. Paul's seething, have you noticed? There's nothing wrong with zeal. Jesus said, zeal for your house has consumed me. But it's wise to be zealous about what God is zealous about. Not every hill is a hill to die on. Not every difference in doctrine is worth separating over, for sure. There are first order doctrines and there are things that Well, we can agree to disagree and still shake hands as brothers. The timing of the second coming and the events around it. There are are many times people I respect change their view every eight to ten months (laughs) on minor details. But we must believe in the second coming and that it's future. Hasn't happened yet. He will come to judge the living and the dead. We need to agree on that. Some of those details, though, let's just shake hands and say, let's pray for each other. I'm sure if I could show you in the Word what I see, you would see it too and believe it. Believe the best of each other. But regarding the gospel, it's okay to be zealous. There's no room for neutrality. There's no room for passivity. How can it be others? You believe a false gospel and you're damned. And anyone who preaches it is damned. The glory of Jesus is at stake. That's huge. The salvation of people are at stake. That's huge.
It's been well said, the hardest part of hell is reserved for the false teachers. And Paul is hypothetically putting a future curse on himself, hypothetically. Knowing the, the way the, the, the gospel is the, the gospel is the only thing, the only message that can save. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You mess with that, you're messing with something sacred. This wasn't a gospel of his own invention. It's the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. And God had revealed it to Paul. And Paul pronounces a hypothetical future curse on himself and upon others and upon angels if they dare preach any other gospel than the true one. Do you believe the gospel's clear? It's only because it's clear that Paul could write such words. Do you know it's loving? I've said this already, but it's loving to point out the truth. And it's not only not loving to not point out the truth, but it's an offense to God. God is concerned about the gospel. It's his gospel. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is, God is an announcing and pronouncing an anathema on the false teacher. We're not in charge. It's God's gospel. We're not to mess with it. We're not the cooks who just throw things away in the place where no one sees us. You know, we, we, we just, we just ah, they wouldn't be interested in this. I'm not going to put that on the plate. I, ah, they, they wouldn't be interested in cabbage. I'll take that off. That, that's not our function. God puts the food on the dish, and to use the analogy, we're just waiters who take the plate to the table and not mess with the plate on the way. It's God's message. We have no right to say, this, this, they won't be ready to receive this. Let me, let me just... Um, not everybody likes meat anyway, and they certainly won't like uh, sardines. Well, if God's serving sardines, we put sardines on the, on the plate. It's God. It's God's gospel. Galatians 2, verse 5. To them, he talks about the incident of the false brothers troubling. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers, pseudo Adolfoi, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that, look at this next phrase, the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. 
verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. And then he rebukes Peter. What a phrase, the truth of the gospel. Now, as we've read verse 8, Paul now moves from the hypothetical to a straight statement. Verse 9, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The message here is there are people doing this right now. If anyone is, present tense, preaching to you. Now, this, this was a letter. People hearing it. Do you think they liked this? Some did. Others were highly offended. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Wow. Let me quote R.C. Sproul here. If an angel comes in here and says, wait a minute, you can't get to heaven by trusting Christ and Christ alone and having the imputation of his merit, and the angel came here and said, for you to really be justified, you have to, to have inherent righteousness. You have to add works to faith, merit to grace, you to Christ. If an angel from heaven came in here and said that this afternoon, they said that this afternoon, I would take him by the seat of his celestial pants and kick him out of here. Paul said that if anyone teaches you any other gospel, even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be anathema. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned. If the Pope, the bishop, the priest, your preacher, me, anyone, teaches any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be anathema because there is no other gospel. End of quote. Again, there are some hills worth dying on. And the gospel is one such hill. Verse 10, For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If Christ is pleased, that's all that matters. What was Paul referring to? Was he referring to the afflictions he had because of the gospel? He could have been. Or it could be that he's simply relating now uh, in this passage he's just written. And he's in the middle of writing. Is he now seeking the approval of man? Well, obviously, if they were to lay that charge against him, both by his example and his experience in his years suffering for the gospel, means that it's an accusation. He's just trying to please man. That has no merit at all. But it's also true of what he's just done in writing these words. He's not trying to please man. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No. Everywhere Paul preached, it stirred up persecution against him, but he stood for the truth of the gospel. To quote Sproul again, here's where when the gospel is at stake, as Luther said in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, in the last verse, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. If we have to let go of our family, let go of our friends, let go of our church, let go of our lives, so be it. Otherwise, we seek to please men rather than to please God. And God has saved us with a gospel that is really a magnificent gospel 
a marvelous gospel. And if I trade that in or negotiate it and say to people who affirm the Council of Trent, this other gospel, that I have a unity of faith in the gospel with them, what have I done? I'll give up my relationship to any leader in Christendom over this doctrine. I'll split my family over this doctrine. I'll split the church over this doctrine. This is the gospel. If the Lord marks iniquity, who can stand? Well, guess what? He does mark iniquity. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. From the Garden of Eden, the first way justification entered the world was how God saved Adam and Eve by covering their nakedness by hiding their sin. The whole system of atonement in the Old Testament, when the blood came into the Holy of Holies and was sprinkled on the mercy seat, it was to cover the sin of the people. That's what the cloak of the righteousness of Christ does for all who put their trust in Him. His righteousness is my covering, and that's how I stand before a holy God. Again, if I have to wait until through the machinations of the church and the sacraments and all the rest and purgatory to make me pure before I can be justified. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow morning because without sola fide, you're without the gospel. And without the gospel, you're without hope. But thanks be to God who gives us the glorious gospel of justification through trusting in the work of Jesus and the work of Jesus alone, who alone is not only able but willing to save all who put their trust in him. End of quote. We stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Write its truth on our hearts now and forever. We ask in Jesus' name.